You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. A lot of times, just like that video, we think that what we do doesn't matter. You ever felt that way? What's the point? What's the point in what you do? What's the point in getting up every morning? What's the point in serving in a church? What's the point in giving to a church? What's the What's the point of praying? What's the point of having you know, your time with God? What's, what's the point? You feel like it doesn't make a difference, but can I tell you, it's in, it's in the small things that differences are made. I think a lot of times we try to put our, ourselves in positions to feel that the bigger we are, the bigger our platform, the more that we can do. And while that may be true, I think it's in the smallest of places that we can have the biggest impact. I mean, I think about Jesus. When he came down to earth, and he lived among us, his people, our Emmanuel, our God with us. One of the things that we see that Jesus did was modeled out this life of taking ordinary people and letting them do extraordinary things through his empowerment. And they changed the world. You, you realize that there was no B team with the disciples, right? Like if these guys failed, that was it. We're not gathered here today. But he believed in these young, rejected teenagers to change the world and he empowers them and he gives them points out the gifts that the Holy Spirit had given them so that they could carry out the mission of the church and of the kingdom and I think we've gotten that all messed up in today's culture and I talk a lot about it and I talk a lot about where the church is today the universal church and and I, I say things because it bothers me it bothers me about how consumeristic the church has gotten And I think it's gotten so much in consumerism that if you come to church, this is about what you can get. And while we do have things that are for you, you're not forgotten. Like the church does exist for you, but it also exists for people that aren't here. And both of those things have to be done together with discipleship is our mending peace that keeps us as one. But what has happened over time is as churches become more and more consumeristic about we need this and we need that and you need to serve and you need to give, it's really broken the trust of people to where you don't want to serve and want to give anymore. And, and here's the thing. This week, I did a, a little, last couple of weeks, I did a little survey with some people on why people don't serve in a church. Just curious. Pastors, non-Christians who just attend. And here are a couple of things that I thought were very legitimate reasons. Number one, people said that the reason that we don't serve is because we don't know that we're supposed to. I think that's a very honest answer, and I think that's very fair to say that, well, I didn't know that I was supposed to. Some people come to church, they don't know that they, they should. Um, some people say that I don't serve because I don't know how. I don't know what to do. I don't feel qualified, right? It can be very intimidating putting you in front of a classroom of preschool kids and then, like, throw you a little raft and say, swim, right? That can be intimidating. And, and maybe... You know how to work with kids, and that is like your shining moment. You can kill it in there. You go in there, and the kids love you, and you're the hero, and, and they go home talking about Jesus because you were able to teach it to a way that they understood it. And then maybe, maybe you're not a computer person. You can sit behind a computer and see all these cables running everywhere, and you just get, whoa, I don't know how to do that, so I can't do it. And so I think that there's a fair assumption to say that some people don't serve because they don't know they can't, they should. There's some people that don't serve because they don't know how, and they feel underqualified. Here was another one that came up. This is the number one answer that I got. 
I don't serve because I feel like when I served before, I was taken advantage of. And I was serving for the wrong kingdom. Imagine Jesus' heart being broken. Broken. That where we, we build churches on people. We, we don't build churches. You guys know that, right? We say that a lot. Our job was never to build a church. Jesus said that he builds the church. We disciple people. And if we will put people in positions to be disciple makers and be discipled, the church, Jesus will take care of the part that we've been working so hard to try to mend. And so today, I want to try to untie some things with serving. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do me a big favor. Everything you've ever learned about serving in the church, I want you to push that to the side for a minute, okay? We're going to deconstruct some stuff. We're going to get rid of some stuff. And we're going to approach what it means to serve in the church from a biblical perspective. We, you, you good with that? So I need you to trust me for the next few minutes as we lay out a foundation of what does it look like to serve? Why should I serve in a church? Where in the Bible does it even say that? And this is no, don't worry about the end of this message to think that we're going um, to be making you sign commitment cards to serve. No, but I will tell you straight up that we're going to give you some opportunities at the end of service to Act on whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I try to be in my own life sometimes. It never works out. But I'm not your Holy Spirit. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would speak very clearly to you today. And that whatever toxicity that you have when it comes to serving, that he will break those things down. And that you'll be able to rebuild your view of what it means to serve the kingdom of God. Not just through the church, but also at your job, at school, wherever you are in the marketplaces that you'll be able to know what serving really is. Now, let's start from the very basic piece of serving. If I were to summarize, if we were to summarize what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, it would come down to these four words. It's not about me. It's not about me. Y'all got a handout this morning, right? Everybody, if you don't have one, we can get you one. Some people said they want a handout, so I did it. Here's the thing about the handout. Um, it keeps me really accountable because now I've got to make sure you guys get some blanks because I know if you're like me and you didn't get a blank, you're freaking out and worried. And I didn't get that blank. If you didn't get a blank, just fill something in. It's okay, and you can preach it. But a lot of, a lot of serving and, and following Jesus, it's, it can be described in four, four words that us following him is not about us, right? Like when it comes to the church, I might be the pastor here, but it's not about me. It's not about Together Church being in the news. It's not about us um, having marketing campaigns all over the place. We want Jesus to be recognized and known more than anything. If you walk out of this place celebrating anything other than Jesus, we have failed as a church. Failed. Because Together Church will never save a single person. Jesus is the only one that can do that. And we've got to recognize where the power is. And so the more that we can push Jesus' agenda... And celebrate him and celebrate what he's done and continuously point to that direction, people will begin to look in that direction to see Jesus for who he truly is. We got to understand it's not about us. Now, we were all born, maybe some of you were more saints than I was, but we were all born with this natural tendency to be selfish. Am I right? I mean, sitting at a stoplight will test your selfishness. I need to go right now. I need to go right now. Sometimes maybe you've driven around people. Maybe you've you miscounted how long that light was going to be yellow because you didn't want to wait for everybody else. 
Here's another true test of selfishness is pushing that shopping cart back to the rack instead of leaving it by your car. Like I had somebody tell me that one time, a, a person within our church, and said, hey, if you, that's selfish, man. And every time I go to get out and I, I put my groceries or whatever in my car, that I hear that voice. Don't be selfish. And of course, every time the buggy rack's like two miles away, and, I'm, and I try to justify it like, I'm closer to the store than I am the buggy rack, so I'm kind of helping them out in one sense, right? But we put it back in the buggy rack. We, we just have this natural tendency to want to be selfish. And that's kind of our approach to everything. Sometimes we don't mean to, but sometimes it just comes out. It, it's because it's, it's part of our sin nature that we want to be selfish. Think about when you get in arguments with people. Well, why do you want to have the last word? To know you're right. I, I got to prove my point. Why can't we let other people have the final word? I tell you, because I'm selfish. I need to finish saying what I need to say because I need you to understand today what I'm trying to explain to you, right? And so there's this natural, this natural selfishness that we have. And, and what I want us to see in Scripture is that Jesus shows us a different approach when it comes to serving people because it's not about selfish because either we can get selfish in our serving. You, you know that? Like, we can serve to fulfill our need of feeling good about ourselves, to feel popular. Everybody wants to always fight for the platform. This is why we have dangers with people on the platform that dress like shepherds, but they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. And we got to be careful because platforms can cause danger for people because we have this selfish tendency. So I want us to look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13 Starting in verse 1, he says this, Before the Passover celebration, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. And he had loved his disciples during this ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas. How many of you know the devil doesn't mind showing up to your table and making himself comfortable and having a seat? Right? You've got to keep that in mind as we talk today about serving. Because right now, he's trembling a little bit because he knows when people get behind the mission that Jesus has given us, he gets concerned and he begins pulling that chair up to the table and starts saying some things to you. This is why David said in Psalm 23 that he, he sits, seats us at the, in the presence of our enemies. So the enemy wants nothing more but to pull a seat up to the table. He was already at work trying to disrupt the agenda before Jesus ever went to the cross. And he says that, that it was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon uh, Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. So Jesus was given authority over what? Everything. Not some things, not whatever he wants. He was given authority over everything. He's in full control here. That's what, that's what John wants us to know. Is he's, he's pushing in this whole book is the supremacy of Jesus. And he's saying that God has given... Jesus, all authority over everything. And so Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would return from God. In other words, Jesus knew his role. He knew his place. He knew his power. He knew his authority. So he got up from the table and he took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. Did you, catch the, did you catch the way that verse reads? It, it reads of, of, of establishing that the enemy has taken a seat at the table. 
and that Jesus is remembering his authority over all of heaven and, and all of earth, and he, he knows who he is, but then the very next verse, he gets up from the table, and he puts a towel around his waist, and he begins washing the feet. That's a different kind of authority, isn't it? Like, his authority is over all that. If any feet were to be washed, it was the disciples should have been washing the feet of Jesus, but he twisted it to say, no, 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 no. I have come to serve you. He, even though he had the authority, he knew his role was to still be a servant. We would say this, to know Jesus is to be served by Jesus. I want to unpack that a little bit, because if you just read that at face value, it sounds very egotistical. But to know Jesus is to be served by Jesus. In this chapter, Jesus is just a few hours away from going to the cross. In just a, just a few moments, he's going to be going and experiencing one of the most brutal uh, capital punishments that you could ever face, especially in this time period, that he's going to be crucified. He knows what's coming. Jesus is very aware of the situation that's at hand. And, and what he does is he spends the last hours not saying his goodbyes, not going and making sure that everybody is good. Jesus spends the last hours that he has on this side of heaven, washing the feet and setting an example of what it means to serve people. And so here is Jesus, the creator of the world, coming from heaven to serve us by becoming a man and kneeling himself to serve his disciples. He's serving us a few hours later when he goes to the cross, when he dies for our sins so that you and I can have a right relationship with him, that we can Everything can be good between us. I do want to ask you this question. How many pairs of feet did Jesus wash? How many disciples were there? Twelve. I know, y'all thought that was a trick question. Sorry, I set you up. I didn't mean to. There are twelve. Out of the twelve, we already know that Jesus is sitting at the table at Passover. He recognizes his authority. He recognizes that Judas has already been influenced by the enemy because the enemy has already taken up a seat. And Jesus washes all 12 disciples' feet. Now here's the interesting thing. I would have had a very hard time washing the feet of Judas knowing what he was about to do to me. That Judas is about to turn me over to the Roman officials and he's going to sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. I'm not going to wash your feet. I might choke you with the rag I might act like I'm going to do it and be like, nope, you don't deserve this. But he gets down on his hands and his knees and he puts Judas's feet in this water and begins to clean them. Now, he may have scrubbed a little bit harder than everybody else, but he had to clean feet. You know, Judas had to eat too. He's an enemy and going to betray the very man that he's been studying under and walking and following and preaching for the last three years and he's going to be influenced and he's going to not going to end well for him and Jesus gets down on his feet with all authority under heaven to this sellout this sinner and he's going to wash his feet so Judas has his feet washed and how hard would that have been for you to do that to your enemy to get down and wash knowing who you were. Look in verse 6 with me. So he's washing the feet. 
And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, I mean, if I identify with anybody in the Bible, it's Peter. Uh, talked way too much, had a big mouth, and often had to come back and apologize. Anybody else? All right, a couple of people are honest. Good. So when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, when I first read that as a kid, I thought, dude, he's washing everybody's feet. Why are you asking this question? But then I learned that you should read the whole Bible. And verse 7 said, Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you're going to understand this. This may make no sense to what I'm saying right now, what I'm doing, but there's going to come a time that you will. And verse 8 said, no, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Now, that was a, that was a confusing thing for Peter. And he says, Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. So uh, just to make sure that I belong to you, don't just wash my feet, but if you just go ahead and wash my hands. and just, Matter of fact, dump the whole bucket on me so I can make sure that I belong to you. Because Peter, was a, he was a pretty bad guy. I mean, he was the disciple that probably cussed at people constantly. I mean, he, he, has, this, he has this anger issue. And he's always saying that. And there's one point that Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, Satan, get behind me. And here he is. Peter's going, well, just in case. Just go ahead and dump the whole thing on me so I can make sure that, uh, that I'm good. And he says, Lord, wash my hands and my feet as well. Because Peter, Peter says this, and it kind of breaks the moment. Like, there's this very intimate moment where the disciples are going, what is happening right now? And the feet are being washed. And then Peter interrupts a very good sermon illustration and says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And Jesus is like, just go along with it, because you're going to understand at some point why I'm doing this. And his response in verse 8 through 11, he goes into verse 8, he says, Peter says, no, you'll never, ever wash my feet. And unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Peter said, you exclaimed, then you wash my hands. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. And now he's taking a stab at Judas, by the way. All of you are clean except for one of you. You know who you are. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he says, not all of you are clean. And so... Jesus is setting the stage, washing the feet, because he's, it's symbolic. This is very symbolic, if, you, if you'll follow along, in the tradition. The, the bathing signifies the salvation that's coming from God. There's a very thing that saves us. So by washing, he is showing the cleansing that happens through salvation, where our sins are being washed as white as snow. Because the Bible says that King David tells us that, that our, our, our sin is as dirty, filthy garments. But the blood of Jesus cleans it. It makes it better. It makes us whole. It makes us pure. The blood of Jesus does that. It's a salvation. And, and then the bathing part signifies the salvation, but the foot washing signifies the daily repentance. Because it's something that has to be done over and over and over again. So salvation's a one-time deal, but we live in a constant state of repentance. And so Jesus is, is illustrating this, is that we live in this, this salvation, but now we live in this repentance. And when we live in repentance and realize that this, this God, this God-man, Jesus, has come to serve all authority, but yet he's come to serve 
his people. And what he's telling us is that if, if he has saved you, then Jesus has served you. Because he served you by going to the cross and paying the price for you. And we have to recognize that we live in this salvation and that we live in this repentance because the more that we repent, what repentance does is, yes, it, it keeps us in line and knowing where we have our shortcomings have come with God. But what repentance should really do is not bring guilt, but it should only bring more excitement and it should only bring more vision to the things that Jesus is trying to do into our lives because we realize how good of a God he really is. Because I can tell you, even on my worst days, Jesus still wants to be around me. That's good news. You know the person that you just like, their whole life is out of whack. Jesus, on their worst day, still loves them the same and still wants to be with them. Because this repentance drives us to understand how much God loves us, and, and it's an outflow. When there's an inward thing and in cleansing that's happening, there's an outflow that we've got to do this. we got to. Because it's not a burden. i got to tell somebody. I mean, I went to a restaurant just a few weeks ago, and the last time I went to said restaurant, it was a disaster. It wasn't great at all. But then when I went back and gave it another shot two years later, it was amazing. And I started telling people about how great this restaurant is. Oh, that place is awful. No, you don't understand. It's under new management. The waitresses smile. They, they care. They want to talk to you. Like, this place is great because I can't help but want to talk about it. I mean, that, that's the way we are. When we experience something that excites us, that has this change, we want to talk about it. Right? You let the South Carolina Gamecocks beat Clemson this year and watch who's talking. Watch who's talking. I'm not saying that's happening. Because I'll probably be wearing orange by November. <laughs> we'll see. But isn't that something that excites us, though? Like, we'll talk about the things that have excited us. Because we can't, because there's been some kind of life change. You want people to experience the things that you've experienced. And my goodness gracious, when I tell you the things that I've experienced in a relationship with Jesus and what he's done in my life, I can't help but to talk about those things. Those things are way more important because they're kingdom influence. They're kingdom impactful. They're eternity. This is why we've set serving up in such an awful way. Come serve. We'll give you a free t-shirt and you can feel good about yourself. Well, Jesus said, well, that's your reward then. Then that's your reward. It's a t-shirt and a lanyard. Enjoy yourselves. But if you want the true reward, the reward's in heaven. When he looks at us and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm going to be honest. I'm just hoping that he'll look at me and say, good try. Good try. I'll take it. And Jesus says, I, I, came, I came to serve. I know what my role is. I know what my position. But I came to serve. And if you would just posture yourselves into this place of repentance and confession with the Father. You can't help but talk about these things because you'll realize how much grace and mercy that he's given to you. How much grace and mercy. This is like Ms. Gretchen and I were talking about this prayer walk. And I told her, the prayer walk is probably one of the best gifts that we could give our communities. Prayer, outside of the gospel. Praying for people. Because we never know what God's going to do with those prayers. That's not up to us. Our job is to be obedient and pray. 
but praying for our people. And why do we pray? Because we know what God's done for us and we know how he saved us and how can we possibly keep that from people when we know how good he is. So if, if he saved you, then he served you. Here's the other thing you can write this in your blank, but to know Jesus is to serve like Jesus. To know Jesus is to serve like Jesus. He says, if you know me, then you serve like me. Then you do these things and you, you copy the pattern of what I've done. He says in verse 12, he tells us, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat back down. Now notice, he takes his robe off and he's using some of this to clean the feet, but he puts what was dirty back on because Jesus takes our mess, our dirt. And he says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, he sat down and he asked them, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Do as I've done to you. Now, this didn't mean, because I'm going to be, I used to hear this message in youth group, and they would bring out the bowl and the towel and want to start washing people's feet. Anybody ever experienced that in youth group? That's why they want to go back to youth group. I see the bowl. No, I was only here for the pizza. Like, I didn't want people touching my feet. Like, people, there's, a, there's an ongoing joke in our, in our household. If, if there's a chance to have shoes, I have shoes on. I don't like walking around in socks, and I do not like walking around barefoot. Nobody wants to see your feet. Nobody wants to see that, right? Women have better feet, but men, nobody wants to see your feet. So um, I don't know where we're going with that. Anyway, so he says to, to, to know Jesus is to serve like Jesus. So, so he's, he's saying here that... Follow this example. He's not telling us to break the bowl out and start washing feet. What he's saying is you need to have humility and start serving people. That's what he's telling us. So this is not some new um, thing that we're supposed to do, like we do communion and we do baptism and we wash people's feet and we do the Lord's Supper. Those aren't the four ordinances. He wasn't given an ordinance. What he's saying is we need to be serving people. We need to lower ourselves and our humility for the sake of other people to hear the gospel. And Jesus says, to know me is to serve like me. He says, you look at what I did for you, and then you go do that very same thing for other people. So he's given this example on how his followers are to, are to start to follow. Now, my question is, understanding that and reading that, how in the world can we, can we feel like we're not supposed to serve our community? We're not supposed to serve one another. Because Jesus very clearly states it in the scripture. And, and he's not telling you to do it out of obligation. He's saying that if you understand the repentance and the goodness that he's about, that he's, he's given to us and his goodness, again, you can't help but to do that. So if Jesus humbly served to the point of dying on a cross, now how do we follow his example? How do we follow his example? Because we can't say that serving's not for me. Now, I will tell you that there are some things that serving in certain capacities might not be for you. You might not be gifted in some things, right? You don't want me in preschool. Because when you go get your kids, they're going to be jacked up on Red Bull and animal crackers. I'm not, because that's my panic mode. Just give them what they want. Just, they have a whole thing of cookies and they're full, right? That's not my gifting. But I can get behind a computer and I can put some lyrics in and I can make some things look somewhat cosmetically correct. So that's what I like to do. That's, that's what I'm good at, right? 
And you've got to know where your strength is. You've got to know what your gifts are. Of how, you, how can I use what I have to impact other people? So Jesus is saying that you've you got to understand and know what it is that you can do to impact people, what your gifts, what he's given you. That's how we follow his example. Just use what you got. You don't have to have a, a seminary degree, and you don't have to have been in church for 45 years to serve. You can move a chair, and you can move a heart with a conversation. You never know what God wants to do when, when you come into the house. I always like to say that when Jesus is here, anything is possible. And last time I checked, Jesus was omnipresent. He is everywhere, so anything is possible anytime, anywhere. Do you believe that? I believe it. Wholeheartedly, I believe it. So we have to live differently. Because following the call of Jesus means that we, we do things differently. We treat people differently. We act differently. We do things differently because when we follow Jesus, he changes us. So we have to stop looking at other people. We, got, we have to stop looking at serving others like it's an inconvenience. Because really, it's an opportunity. I'm going to go off script for a minute. This is why it's, it's, it's an opportunity. Here's why it's an opportunity. We serve here not to fill a void or not because not we have a capacity that needs to be filled. We serve because we hope to put people in places to have spiritual conversations with people that come in, with our children, with our youth, with people coming in the front door, with our first-time guests, with our second-time guests, people that have been here for day one. It's about hearing the voice of God and having spiritual conversations. And in the process, we might get the church set up. We might have the lessons for kids printed. We might have our small groups at youth. Those are all byproducts. Because here's what I'm telling you. We don't need you to serve. What we need you to do is find a place to get in a capacity to have a spiritual conversation so that we can continue to build his kingdom, continue to, to work and disciple people so he builds his kingdom. Is that understood? You got it? I, I just want to, again, we're trying to detox, and I'm still trying to detox some of this too, but there, there's, a, there's a trait that we have this humble service that we, we humble ourselves and put ourselves in places to where we can have these conversations. And God can do these conversations anywhere. And we get to make life, life change, life conversations with people all the time if we're just being aware of His Holy Spirit moving and speaking. So here's the third thing. Here's the implications of living a life this way. So the implications of living a life this way. Jesus actually says if you do these things, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Now what does that mean? Well, it, it does mean that you would be happy and joy. This is the Greek word, makurios. It means that there's this thing in your stomach it's just like this, ooh, I feel so, like when I'm doing this thing, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. That's what he's saying. Then when he says that if you serve and you recognize your relationship with the Father, you'll want to do these things, and when you do these things, you'll find a blessing because you're doing the very thing that God called you to do. This is what happens when you serve in a capacity in a church, and it becomes a chore. And there's a difference between a chore and an opportunity. When it's a chore, you have to do it. When it's an opportunity, you get to do it. It's a burden mindset. When, when I have to serve, when I have to get up and get ready, when I have to, you, you catch that in your language, but when we have opportunities and we get to, it's that's, that's a, that's a different mindset. 
And, and when we serve, Jesus is saying, you, you change this mindset and move it from being a chore and a task to being a ministry opportunity. And no serving is small. Everything makes the same impact. Like, there are people that set up these chairs this morning. Aren't you glad they set up these chairs this morning? Now you have a place to sit. There were people that came in and unlocked the building and turned the AC unit on. Can we say amen for AC? There are people who this week were praying for you, and you didn't even know it. They were praying. There were worship teams that were practicing songs and were willing to jump at the last minute to change a song because the song we try to do is just too much. You've got to stay in your lane. And there were people praying and leading men's groups and people leading student ministry and people leading kids. They, they were serving because they're living out opportunities. The implications is that when we do this, we're blessed. It's an it's a eternal reward. No t-shirt, no lanyard. It's knowing that we're doing exactly what God has called us to do. The good news is that every ounce of ability to serve flows from the gospel. The only reason we get to do this is from the gospel because of what Jesus has done in us. It's not by our own strength. The Holy Spirit enables us to do this for other people. The way that that happens is we get on our knees and we ask the Holy Spirit to move in our lives to show us what it is that we need to do. Now, as we get ready to close, I want to share like five, five things very quickly. These are five things. These aren't on your notes. But in the church, we have five different areas. We have pirates. Okay, pirates are people that come from other churches. And they love your church, but they want to bring their ideas and their agendas and their mission to your church. They try to hijack the mission of the church. They're the people that say, well, at my last church, we did. Then why aren't you at your last church? You have pirates. We don't have pirates here. I don't believe that we have pirates here. I think everybody's here because they love Jesus. You have stowaways. Stowaways are on the boat and they've been hurt. They're the ones, the stowaways are the ones that typically would say, I felt like I was taken advantage of. And they just quietly kind of come into the church and they just find themselves in a seat and they just stay quiet. And it's okay to be a stowaway. You need some time to heal and some time to be, to get into a place to where you can, you can be back serving people. And that's okay. We need stowaways. Then we have passengers. Passengers are all going in the same direction. Same direction. But you're sitting in the lounge chair in the sun drinking out your coconut drink with your umbrella straw. You're here, but you're just passenger. And then we have our crew. The crew's doing the work to make the preparations, to have the conversations and getting people in a position to be able to hear the gospel message. Not just from this stage, but also from the front doors to tearing down to, and kids to whatever is happening. It's the crew. These are the people that believe wholeheartedly. They, they've, they've taken what Jesus said literally and said, we're going we're gonna to serve, like we're part of this. You're not, the Bible doesn't say with all your heart, serve the church. He says, with all your heart, serve him. And this is his church. It's his church. And I want nothing more from you than to be able to experience what he says in verse 17, the blessing that comes. The blessing that comes with serving people in your community. 
the, the blessing that comes with serving people in the church. The blessing that comes. Because he, he wants to do, he wants to give you that. He wants you to have that. It's more about a spiritual growth thing than it is anything. I don't ever want you to hear us telling you that you need to serve because our goal is if you serve, we get bigger. We serve for growth, for spiritual growth, because we get put in positions where we can share the gospel with other people. Does this make sense? Does this take, do you feel like a little bit of weights come off your shoulders? Like if you feel like you've been taken advantage of, you need to come and talk to somebody so that we can fix that because that is not at all what's supposed to be happening. We just want you to be able to live in the lane that God has called us to and ask him to show us what, what it is that we need to do. But we want to serve on the sake, for the sake of other people. And I know, because I hear it all the time, like, well, you're a pastor, so you ser serving is your job. Well, and it is. And there are certain things that, that I'm supposed to be doing as the pastor, but I just want you to know, I don't, I don't like preaching things that I don't, I don't do too. So I've found ways that I can serve the church that is not in my quote-unquote job description. So there are things that I do outside of the clock that's for the church. I mean, you probably read some of the emails that have misprints in them. That's not my gift, right? But sometimes we'll do that. And, but my, my biggest thing is I get behind the computer. I just like putting the lyrics in. I like to worship before we worship. So just understand, I'm drinking the, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Probably a bad analogy. I'm eating, I'm eating the same cake that you're eating, Okay. But what I want, but I, I want nothing more from you. Just to just serve somebody. Bob Dylan said, "You got to serve somebody." Even he got it. So here's what we're going to do. A little bit different today. We're going to sing, but while we're singing, we want to give you a chance to have a, a place of response. To, to if you're not serving, what we want you, your next step is not to join a team. It's not what we're trying to get you to do. But we want you to at least open the conversation to have some questions about serving here and what that looks like. And so one of our, our, our areas that COVID just completely, not COVID itself, but the pandemic kind of wiped out was our children's ministry. We had a lot of volunteers that was moving and Together Kids was great and then COVID hit and then we lost volunteers and things just kind of, we just been skeleton crewing it. And I just want to say, to Heather Gramajo, to Jessica Lewis, and Chelsea Hoover have led that area and not complained one time about just using their giftings. Can we acknowledge that? And I know that they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to be publicly recognized, but I think you got to recognize when you see what we're talking about happening. And they're working hard to help rebuild that. And we have, we have some areas in Together Kids that we, we want people to get involved in. Um, you don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be an assistant teacher. We have substitute um, volunteer areas. We have people that can run a copy machine. Uh, there are other ways to serve the, serve the church just outside of the, the norm. Like you can make copies and you can shake hands and um, you can make some phone calls or uh, you can just pray for people. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do to serve. So don't just think that you've got to serve one of these areas. But they have some, some information over there that you can go and ask questions and just pick up and kind of just explore, what, God, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do? And what do you want me to do about it? And then we have another table over here that just has a list of everything. Like set up and tear down is a great place to start. It's a great place to start. 
You don't have to be super skilled. You don't have to be super trained. Like if you can literally pick that chair up and move it, you are 100% qualified and we want you. Because when we pick up chairs, we meet other people and have conversations with other people. And so it's a really cool thing to be able to do. So as we respond today, there are three questions on your outline. What's the Holy Spirit telling me? What am I going to do about that? How am I going to be obedient to what he's telling me? And who do I know needs to hear what the Holy Spirit's telling me? I want you to ponder those three questions as our worship team comes and we get ready to, to sing. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for, for what you have done for us. We, it's, it's your cross. It's the, it's the very thing that has saved us. And when we understand who you are, we understand your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We can't help but to do these things and serve people in whatever capacity and with whatever giftings that we have. So I just pray today that under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to the people in this room. You would give them next steps, that you would help guide them even now in the process. I thank you for every person here that is serving and even the people that aren't. God, this is not a message of condemnation, but just a message of encouragement and equipping us to do the work that you've called us to do, whether inside the walls of this place or outside of here. And we thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments, and we pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand and let's respond this morning.